0: well hello there welcome to journey through the epistles with daniel babalola i am daniel babalola and i'm inviting you on a journey as we study the epistles in the bible book by book chapter by chapter verse by verse I believe that a solid understanding of what is contained in the epistles would serve as a strong foundation for all our Christian expression and not just that, that when we take the words of the apostles and properly understand them in their context as they meant it to be understood, our entire Christian experience stands the chance of being so much more flourishing. So join me on this journey, let's go. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for another Saturday morning or afternoon, whatever time anyone is joining here. Thank you for whatever time anyone is listening to this. For another opportunity, we get to study your word. We get to reflect on your word. We get to allow your word speak to us. Allow your word change our lives. And I pray that even as we go through yet another chapter, another couple of verses, I pray that the truth of your word rings true in our hearts, that there is no confusion. I pray that you are glorified via your word and through your spirit and that we are able to apply all we learn to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen 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 good morning afternoon evening (laughs) um anytime anyone is listening to this and for those of you here welcome to bible study yet again journey through second corinthians part i think 16 now so um this is already becoming a fast contender for longest longest book i can't remember how long first corinthians was But I think Hebrews was just about 13 or so. So this is going to be, this is going to take the spoils for now. Um, But I hope we've been blessed so far, especially over the last couple weeks, because we've been week after week talking about very important aspects of our Christian living. And it hasn't necessarily been theologically dense. I don't think Paul intended for it to be theologically dense. It was as the text was, it was an urge for a change of character in the lives of the people that were reading those letters. And so this was not, or these weren't texts for people to be like, Oh my God, deep. I never saw it that way. Mm -hmm." This is Paul telling you that this is how it has always been. I need you guys to change your behavior. And it's very important that we we approach the word of God that way. I know we we are probably all familiar with the parable of the sower. And of course we know in context, it's talking about people's response to the gospel, but it doesn't change the fact that there is a huge similarity, even in the life of a believer, whenever we encounter the word of God, we can, in a sense, be like the first, category of the of the of the of the story and we just hear the word of god and it never germinates never takes because right immediately for whatever reason you hear a sermon then as soon as church is over you are going to go and play fifa with your guys and so you never for the rest of that day and perhaps ever again allow the word of god really work in your heart as a believer it's possible then the second category the one that fell among rocky soil he said that because the roots, um, the soil wasn't thick enough, it it bore, it sprouted very quickly because its roots were not deep. And so he's like, oh, glory, what a word. I would change. And maybe for the first week, there is a change. But he says, as soon as the sun came out, as soon as persecution, as soon as challenge, as soon as an opportunity to act on the word, him, because it wasn't deeply rooted, it fell, it died. Again, that's talking about response to the gospel, but it also applies whenever we come face to face with the word of God, whenever we personally read our Bibles, whenever we gather on a Saturday morning like this to study. Don't be like that. There are those that fell among weeds. And so he says the cares of this world choked up the word of God. That can also happen. It's very possible you hear teachings like this about living for God, sacrifice, inconvenience, purpose, perspectives, worldviews. And as soon as you get up Monday morning, the cares of this world, your jobs, your school or assignments, this and that, and it doesn't give the word of God room to bear fruit. And then the final category of the good soil, right this is the person who allows the word of god take root that applies. that that refers to meditation you actually think about the things you've heard you look at your life in 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 comparison through the lens of the spirit of god god this is what i've heard where are the areas in my life that i need to make adjustments you allow the word of god grow in you and then you bear fruits so i want to encourage every one of us um let this not be just a Saturday routine. If it is, that's beautiful. If it's a Saturday routine, it's beautiful. Let it not be just a Saturday routine. Let Bible study not just be an attempt to gain more revelation, right? Let it be also a time where you come face to face. It's like it's like your, your daily checkup where you allow the spirit of God scan through your life scan through your actions your thoughts your words what you did what you said what you did not do yesterday or in the previous week and let the word of god shape you let the word of god shape you that way amen amen with that said let's turn our bibles to second corinthians chapter 7 we've made it <laughs> we've left yet another chapter where going along slowly but successfully and we'll get there (laughs) amen in jesus name amen all right second corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 if you haven't already bring out your writing materials your notepads um, because it's always good to take notes um as usual i'm reading from the new king james so turn your bibles there uh so last week we spent a great deal of time talking from verses 14 to verses 18 right from verse 14 to verse 18 and we spent quite a, a pretty much the whole of the last two weeks talking about what it means to be unequally yoked with unbelievers right and what did we what did we say in essence we we talked about the difference in nature, I believe those that were there, you probably have it in your notes already. We talked about differences in morality, differences in revelation, differences in influence and authority, differences in identity, differences in worship and sacrifice. And we talked about what it means to be separated onto God. I think one of the emphasis of of last week's teaching was the idea of separating yourself onto God to allow Him to allow his name to be represented in your life. I don't want to spend too much time on that because we have a lot to cover today. But if you haven't listened to last week's teaching and two weeks ago, I really recommend that you do. What does it mean to be unequal? Does it mean, oh, when you marry, yeah, Christian, you marry a non-Christian. Is that all it means? Um, How else can it apply to our life? So we talked a great deal on that. And chapter seven, verse one, is one of those reminders where you're like, oh, The Bible really wasn't wasn't, uh, written in chapters and verses or the letters were not written in chapters and verses because chapter 7 verse 1 is actually the conclusion of everything we talked about last week. So let's, let's go there. It says, therefore, having these promises, what promises? The promises we talked about last week, which is come out from among them and I will receive you. I would be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. It is because we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so he's saying because of these promises, and some of you that are taught in the word of God, you've spent some time learning about who you are in Christ. You're like, am I not already? a son and daughter of God? Am I not already his people? Doesn't he already live in me? Uh, Daniel, what are you saying? Are you saying that this is something to be promised, that I have to um, stop associating or reduce my interactions with unbelievers for God to then take me as his son? How do I reconcile that with salvation? And I said that last week, that don't allow what is true I can't remember how I phrased it, but I think I said, don't allow what is true of your identity in Christ rob you of what you can experience in your walk with Christ. Right? Oh, I'm the righteousness of God, but you are still lying. You are still, you're still struggling with sin. Don't deceive yourself and say, Oh, this is who I am in Christ. It doesn't matter what happens on a day-to-day experience. No. We allow or we, we take what is true of our identity in Christ and through prayers, through meditations, through the intentional submission to the sanctifying work of the spirit of God in our lives, we make it a reality in our everyday work with God. And so, oh, I've been, I've been washed clean by the blood of Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I live it out every day. Oh, I'm the temple of God. It's true in salvation. I live it out. Oh, I house the Spirit of God. It is true in salvation. Ephesians 1 13. How can I leave that out? What does that mean in sanctification? What does that mean in the gifts of the Spirit? If it is true that the Holy Ghost lives in me, what does that mean on an experiential level? And that's what Paul is saying. The same thing that, oh, yes, you've been you've been grafted in. You are now a child of God, right? It says for as many that believe he gave them the Power to be sons of God. If you have believed the gospel, you are a son and a daughter of Christ. But Paul is saying that there's still something that that is true about the sense that for us to experience that on a practical day-to-day level, there has to be a separation. And it's what I said last week that there are certain you, you look at someone and you're like, I know we are both saved. But this person has a relationship or a walk with God that I have not not yet experienced. You look at a person's life and you're like, there's something about the quality of their Christian walk that I desire. That I desire. The same way it's true, oh, we all have the Spirit of God. And because we have the Spirit of God, the gifts are in the Spirit. And we can say that. We can quote it. But you see someone walking in the gifts and you're like, (laughs) it's true that we both have the spirit, but there is something on an experiential level that this person is walking in that I have not gotten to. And that's why we grow. That is why we grow. That's why Paul would say, forgetting the things that are, are behind, I press on towards the mark of the high calling in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here as well. Yes, you are a child of God. Yes, you are a son of God. Yes, he lives in you. Yes, he walks in you. But if you do not intentionally pay attention to what he just said, come out from among them and be separate. That relational experience of what it means to walk with God, what it means to be identified as a child of God, you might not see to the extent that God wants to that intimacy, that fellowship, that daily relationship with God. So yes, it might be true in the spirit. I'm a child of God. The Corinthians were children of God. But he's saying, you have this promise. God is calling you to himself. And unless you separate yourself, you will not experience that to the level that God is willing to take you through. And so I'm going to encourage every one of us again, like I did last week. Don't allow... What is true of your identity in Christ, rob you of your experience? Don't shrug and say, ah, it's true of me in Christ. Is it true in your day to day walk? Is it, is it true? Is it true? Is it true? And so he's saying it because we have these promises, we should respond accordingly. He calls it the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, referring to what is done in the physical and what is done in in a sense, the spiritual. So your actions, your thoughts, your motives, your intents, the things you do with your body, the things you do with your mind. Let us cleanse ourselves from all of this. It says perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I love that because it, it makes it very clear. And if, for those of you that grew up in, in churches where there was a lot of emphasis on the Old Testament, you know this well already—that the fear of God leads to holiness. You you know that by default, that if you fear God, <laughs> you would you would run from sin. So when Joseph, forty-five, said, "Ah, hey, cutie, <laughs> come," he said, "How can I do this thing and sin against God? I fear God too much to do this." When they said, "Oh, if you don't bow down to the to the three Hebrew boys, we're going to burn you." He said, ah, "We fear God too much to bow to a man. To bow to a man. To bow to a man." When they told the apostles, "If you ever mention the name of Jesus again, we'll kill you." He says, "We can't we we can't but obey God." We can't but obey God. So there is something about a recognition of who God is as holy, as just. You read all through the scriptures, whenever a person encountered God for real, there was an overwhelming sense of their inadequacy. Isaiah saw the vision and the first thing he said is, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among people of unclean lips. As soon as Jesus performed that miracle, what um, performed the miracle of the multiplying of 50, Peter said, please get off my boat. I'm a sinner. And so there's something about an a genuine interaction with God that makes you aware that sin is not okay. Sin is not okay. Fortunately, and we're going to see that as we talk about repentance and godly sorrow later in this teaching, God doesn't stop there. He invites you in the in the sake of in the case of Isaiah, he said a charcoal was put on his mouth and he was purified. God doesn't leave you sin conscious, condemned, and you're like, I don't want to go near God. No, He invites you into Himself and He cleanses you. The same thing for Peter. He said, Don't worry, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so, one of the easiest ways to gauge. How aware you are of the presence and the spirit of God in your life is by your sensitivity to sin. When you do things you ought not do, does the spirit of God, Do you, are you aware that God lives in me and I just lied? That's not okay. God lives in me. I just did this. I just said this. That's not okay. That's not okay. And so the more we allow our minds to grasp that reality of who God is and the fact that He lives in us. I mean, you read through the Old Testament. If you've if you've ever gone through the Torah and you see how much detail was put into the temple, the holy place where no one can just enter, where you can't just do anything, you can't just say anything. It must always be clean. It was overlaid with gold, and God is what? What is God doing? He's communicating an idea of what it means for God to dwell in a place, so much so that even down to their personal hygiene, there were laws about that. About oh, if you want to use the go outside the camp, don't don't leave your feces lying around in the camp. Why? Because the presence of God dwells there, and so God was using physical cleanliness. To teach them something about what it means to walk with God, and so now, God lives in us by the Spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean oh, I cannot pray while I'm using the bathroom? I cannot read my Bible because cleanliness is next to godliness, and so therefore, if I honour God, my Bible must never step foot into my into my my bathroom. No, no. But when you read. All those instructions, or if you have a saw, don't come into the temple. stuff. And you're like, "Why is God so particular about hygiene?" <laughs> Apart from the fact that hygiene is good and it keeps you healthy, there's a validity. You don't want a plague breaking out and half of Israel dies because they didn't. Someone didn't take care of themselves. But beyond that, He was teaching them what it means to walk with God. What it means to walk with God. He was teaching them what Paul is teaching the Corinthian church. If you are God's children, you will intentionally live a life of holiness. You would live a life of holiness in your flesh, in your actions, in your spirit, in your thoughts, in your mindsets. You're going to live a life where you are aware of the the indwelling presence of God. That's what we call the fear of God. You You are aware that God lives in you. And for that sake alone, out of reverence to God, there are things you cannot do. There are things that are not okay. And the moment you start to feel yourself slacking, you start to feel sin, Sin feel a lot better. The first time, the second time, I was like, ah, check it, check it. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Sin robs us of intimacy with God. There's, we've talked about that at, at length last week. Don't give it a chance. Don't give an excuse that oh, is it not normal? Whether it's God say, "Ah, is it not? We're just friends. Is it not normal?" No, it's not. Oh, it's just a show. No, it's not. Oh no no, they know I was just joking. Are you sure? I doesn't matter now. Everyone is wearing it. Does that apply to your walk with God? Let those questions, let, let that idea that God indwells me. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's. so that that's just a wrap on all we've discussed on separation and being called out from last week and I think even the week prior. So again, you can listen to the previous teachings just to have a full flow of what we've talked about. So let's go on to verse two. It says, open your hearts to us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn, for I've said it before, that you are in our hearts. That's verse 3, to die together and to live together. And so Paul returns to what he's been talking about, which is what? Encouraging the Corinthian church to receive them. Because if you remember from the first teaching, that was what, 16 weeks ago, <laughs> our first teaching of Second Corinthians. What was one of the biggest things Paul was writing to? This was a church that was faced with other, in quote, apostolic influences. Great speakers, great guys, maybe good looking, tall, rich, I don't know, eloquent. And they are claiming to be men of God. They are claiming to love the Corinthian church. And Paul was worried that these Corinthians are going to get carried away, carried away. And so he's talked about that a lot. They're probably going to get to a point where they're like, who is Paul? Paul? That guy? He doesn't have any money. He's always suffering. <clears throat> Why should we call ourselves disciples and people who have been brought up by Paul when there's this fancy-looking guy? Have you have you seen his hair? Have you seen the way he speaks? <laughs> who is Paul? And we've talked about that at length. And so Paul is appealing again that Corinthians, open your hearts to us. We've We've wronged no one. We've done nothing or we've corrupted or we've cheated no one. I'm sure there were many of these, in quote, false apostles or super apostles, as Paul is going to talk about in chapter 13, that have cheated people. They were doing this for the money. And he's like, guys, isn't it clear that we love you? And the reason we are here is because we love you. And he's saying that I'm not saying this to condemn you that you are in our hearts. We talked about that last week, right? That my heart is open unto you and it's your heart that is being held back from us. When we talked about one-sided relationships, I know people will remember that analogy. And he's saying, I've said it before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. It just goes again to show the kind of bond that Paul had with these people. Not only that, it shows the kind of bond we ought to have with each other we ought to have with each other when it comes to christian community we live in a world especially um for most people that are listening in cultures that have been heavily influenced by western ideologies very individualistic very individualistic we we it's not easy to find strong knitted communities in places like this but don't allow that rob you of God's ideal of God's ideal when you come into the body of Christ again on a global spiritual level there should be a physical reflection the same way we've talked about it for righteousness we've talked about it for identity it's true in fellowship the day you got saved you were part invited into the family and the household of god so it is true spiritually even if you don't have a local church you are a part of the body of christ but please and please whatever is true in christ let it be true in your life if you are part of the body of christ when god looks at his spiritual records let it be true physically that okay what church? do you belong to it goes beyond what church do you belong to what community of believers are you a part of and if you've not found that community don't 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 let it be normal don't just say oh i've not found it, it is what it is no desire it pray about it a community of believers where you pray together you study together you guys keep yourselves accountable in God, in ministry, in your priorities. Where the moment, let's say you had a bad week, you know someone in your group will reach out to you and say, ah, we've not heard from you this week. How have you been? Or oh, how's your prayer life been? Or oh, what is God teaching you at this moment? People that would, they would always ask you, so you know you can't slack because they'll be asking you, what is God teaching you at this moment? You're telling them, "Oh, guys, I'm thinking of starting undertaking this new um, project," and they will ask you, "Oh, have you prayed about it? Oh, guys, I, I want to start this business. Oh, oh, have you have you prayed about it? Guys, I'm I'm thinking of traveling. I, I want to leave the country," and the first thing your group will say, "Have you have you prayed about it? Oh, what will it mean for 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 the things God has already told you as far as ministry is concerned?" people that can come alongside you and support you in trying times oh guys my dad is not feeling too well and they're like we are here for you we'll pray with you but we're also here to talk if you need anything from us we are here for you oh guys i'm going through this season of temptation they are there to keep you accountable every believer needs that needs i, I didn't i didn't just say oh it's a good thing no i said you need it meaning if you don't have it. There is, you are missing out on what can be a, a very enriched Christian experience. Paul is saying, we are here with you to die together and to live. Can you say that about any Christian community you are a part of? That we are here together, to live together, to die together. Desire that ideal. Don't stop until you find it. Be it starts from even being that kind of person. Are you that kind of person that if your friend tells you they are you are there for them? That when you when your friends call you, ask them, How is prayer? How is Bible study? How is ministry? What is God saying? Or where is God leading you? Or what's going on in your life? How can I be praying for you? How can I support you? Don't allow the culture we live in where it's just oh. Out of sight, out of mind, or uh we just text once in a while. Don't let that define your Christian experience. Don't let that define your Christian experience. Because the truth is, it's it's if you were living in a country where there was persecution, and it's it's kind of normal that in places where there is rejection and persecution, it's easier to find that bond. You go to you hear about stories of the Christians in China. They really know what it means to die together and live together. Because as they are fellowshipping like that in their underground church, if soldiers come, all of them are going. So they know that if any one of us should report now, we are are, are goners. So they know what it means to do life together. And if it comes to it, to die together. The early church was no different. They knew that... (laughs) The world is not on our side. And maybe that's why it was slightly easier or a lot easier for them to be bonded by that shared love of Christ because they knew that it could cost them everything. You go to Christians in the middle is the same thing. Such a beautiful bond of fellowship. But just because we live in a country or you live in countries, I don't, wherever anyone is listening to this, eventually where Christianity is not persecuted, where in quotes, Everyone is Christian unless proven otherwise. Don't let it rob you of the beauty of Christian community. If you've not found one yet, I beg you, take it upon yourself to pray every day. Let it be part of your prayer points. God, establish me with brothers and sisters in Christ that I can do life with. If you found that community, I'm happy for you. I'm sure you know everything I'm saying you You've benefited from it. You know what I'm saying, that no, there's no way I could have come this far in my Christian work if I didn't have brothers and sisters who had my back. Even if it's just, if, if you if you can't find it in a larger church setting, even if it's just a group of five, five of you, you and five other girls, if you're a girl or something, you guys are, you know that, okay, there's a bond here. There's a bond. There's something we have Rooted in God, not in vibes. Yes, of course, you're going to have fun. Yes, you can plan trips together. That's fine. But the core of that bond is in Christ. And you know you have each other's backs. And you will make sure all of you live for God till you die. You need that. You need that. You need that. You need that. If God saved you into a body, then your life, your physical experiences should reflect the fact that you are a part of that body. You are a part of that body. Even Jesus, your your personal, <laughs> I don't know is, your personal Lord and Savior, he was about to die. He didn't go on his own. He he called, he says, come and pray with me. Unfortunately, (laughs) this like don't be that person. I say, Oh, I'll be praying for you, but you are sleeping. First hour, second hour, I say, "Ah, I am in pain. I have been with these guys for three years. They've probably never seen me in as much agony as and they are sleeping. Thank God for the spirit of God. I'm sure they won't do that after the resurrection. But even Jesus had a 12 that he's eating with, he's doing life with, but you. You, your Lord and Savior had a group. You said, No, I can do it on my own. Like, oh uh, why your close Christian friends, you know, you know how Christian friends can be. <laughs> you are setting yourself up for trouble. It's a lot easier, in case you don't know, it's a lot easier to serve God when you have people doing it with you. It was a lot easier for the Hebrew boys to say no because they were they knew. That we're together in this thing. If it was one person, the pressure would have been a lot more. And I'm not saying it's not even possible. I'm saying it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. There is strength in numbers. There is strength in numbers. Jesus is sending out to him. He said, go out two by two. So that in case one person is, the other person can encourage. The other person can encourage. Even when you look, if you like I grew up watching Joe, I love to watch animals a lot. You see how lions hunt. The first strategy is what? Isolation. A, a, lions will not just run into a head of buffalo. They know they'll die. You can't attack them if they are together. And sometimes you see some of these herds, they will form a circle, put their horns outside. And then the vulnerable ones are in the middle. The sick, the elderly, the young. They're in the middle, the old, the the, the strong ones, they form a shield and there's nothing the lions can do. But the moment the lions can stir up commotion, everyone is running. What would happen? The slow, the old, the young, the weak, they'll be left behind. And then the lions will lead that particular one away from the rest of the pack and then they kill it. And it hasn't, the strategy of the devil is the same. He wants to get a believer. The first thing many times he will do is the illusion of isolation. Just make that Christian feel like they are alone. That no one gets what they are going through. That, oh, there's no one they can talk to or actually isolate them. Maybe make them too busy for small groups, too busy to interact with other believers. And so weeks pass and you have not, you don't have Christian friends that are an active part of your life. So now you can go one day, two days, three days, four days. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. No one is calling you up. Two weeks, three weeks, you've not called your close Christian friends. So no one is able to ask you, oh, how have you been? How is your walk with God? Isolation. Oh, what is God saying about ministry? He can't be saying anything because you've not, you've not done. And if they were there, do not ah. Brother, I think you should take a retreat. I think you need to spend more time praying. So now you're making decisions and there's no one to remind you of who you actually are. Isolation. Isolation. Don't allow yourself be separated from the body of Christ. Don't be a believer that just goes into church, sneaks out. No. 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 You are safe in the body. You are safe in Christian community. And so if you haven't found it, I beg you, pray about it. Be honestly, desire it. Because in it, you are safe. Amen. Amen. I I know that's for someone. So please act on the word of God. Act on the word of God. All right, let's go on. Verse four, it says, great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. And so Paul is, he kind of switches the tone a bit here. And he's like, despite the fact that I'm, I'm appealing to you, but I'm also able to boast on your behalf. Why? Sure, they were they misbehaved, they were threats, but Paul still loved them. And there was still a reason that Paul could be joyful. Why is that? We're going to get there. The reason is because Titus came. If you remember part one, <laughs> 16 weeks ago, that's what now, four months ago, I told you guys that Paul sent a, a letter to them, a very harsh letter. And from then, he probably didn't know how they responded. And we're going to see that here. I'm just giving a bit of backstory so everyone is on the same page. He didn't know how they responded. He didn't know if they would respond positively. He didn't know if they were angry at him. And so he sent Titus to go check in on them, right? And uh, so he hadn't heard from Titus. And so he didn't know. It's like you send a message and it's unread. You don't know what the person is thinking. You don't know what is going on. And you're just checking your phone. Have they replied? Have they replied? Have they replied? That's what is going on, right? And so Paul is like, I got to Troas. If you remember 2 Corinthians, um, I think it was chapter 2. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. When I came to Troas to preach, a door of opportunity was open. It says in verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit because I didn't find Titus. And I had to leave to Macedonia to look for Titus to look for Titus. And so this is what Paul is talking about that I'm worried, I'm concerned. However, I'm sorry, I've not heard from Titus. And so now Titus comes. And Titus brings a lot of good news. We're going to see that today. And so Paul is writing back to them in what is perhaps maybe his fourth letter at this point. And he's telling them that I'm glad by what I heard from Titus. So that's what we're going to that's what we're going to see today. And so he's saying that what? I was exceedingly joyful in all of our tribulations. And we've talked about this at length in Philippians. And I'll just briefly remind also, just talk about this topic of being able to rejoice even though things are hard, right? Because there were still issues going on in the church. And from where Paul was writing, he was still going through persecution and suffering. But Paul is someone who we can look at and see that it is possible for joy to be detached from our external experiences. In fact, it should be detached. Once your joy is rooted in God, rooted in Christ, of course, even when bad things, I'm not saying that, oh, you just lost a loved one and you're smiling, you are dancing. Not necessarily. It doesn't mean you can't be sad. It doesn't mean that things don't get, things don't, affect you like you're, you're numb. So you lose it. You're like, ah, I don't care. Well, it's possible to be like that, but I'm not even saying that's what, that's what joy, joy means. Despite this, despite this, I am still rooted in God. I can still find cause to be joyful because I know that something more important has been done for me already. Let me explain with an analogy. Let me explain with an analogy. So let's say, let's say, for instance, you just, Monday morning, right? Well, here it's October, Monday morning, October 16, you open your Gmail or your account, whatever. And you just see that you just got a job offer. It's going to be paying you, I don't know, $500,000 a year, right? It's remote. You only have to work three times a week and it's from nine to 4 p.m. Strictly. Because if you ever have to work more than that, they would even pay you overtime. Just imagine, (laughs) let's be wild and just imagine that's what happened. The excitement, (laughs) the excitement you would feel. You'd be like, oh my God, my life has changed. And rightly so. But let's say, oh, as you were driving to work, that day when you got the email, you remember that, oh my God, I forgot my ID card. <laughs> or let's say, oh, I forgot to take my coffee. I forgot to pack food. In that moment, in that moment, right? If it was another day, let's say you woke up, you're having a bad day, you're like, ah, I forgot my ID card, you would be upset. You'd be like, oh, I have to drive back home, I have to get my ID card. Or if those people like, oh no, I'm going to be draggy all day, right? It's you'd be like, ah. But in that moment where you got the job alert and you realize you forgot something, it doesn't rob your joy. Why? Because the the, the email about the job is way more important than what you forgot. Even if you feel inconvenienced, it's like, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Similarly, let's say, oh, um... You you someone gives you ten thousand dollars check, and at that same time, you get a debit alert of a hundred dollars, let's say toll tickets, <laughs> right? If there was no if someone didn't give you a ten thousand dollars, you would have been very annoyed, like ah, a hundred dollar toll charge. What is this? But because something greater came, it's not you are able to go through that. Is it 100? I'll pay. In the meantime, let me let me start thinking of what I can do with at least $9,900. That's what you start thinking about. And so it is a fact. Because when we talk about joy, a lot of people make it seem as though Christians are hypocritical or it's what's what trying to tell you to, to force yourself to be happy when bad things happen. I'm here to tell you that that is not Christian joy. Let me explain what Christian joy is because if it was anything else, we know for a fact that a greater event always trumps a lesser. And so a $10,000 check makes you feel good despite a toll charge. A new job makes you feel good despite leaving your ID card at home. What Christian joy is, is it is a charge for you to build in your spirit a mindset that exalts salvation and what you have in Christ as greater than any other event in your life. To build in you a fortitude that exalts spiritual realities as greater than any other thing that can happen in the natural. And so what then happens, what Christian joy looks like is, oh, I just lost my job, but I have Christ. And so you're not psyching yourself up. You actually esteem Christ as greater than your job. And so, yes, you are sad you lost your job, but you are joyful because you still have Christ. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Oh, I just lost lost a loved one. Oh, but I have Christ. Oh, but they have Christ. So they are not even gone. So, yes, I'm sad they are not with me, but I'm joyful because there is a greater event. There's a greater event. Oh, things are hard right now. Sure, but I have Christ. I have Christ. That is what Christian joy looks like. It's it's not not that we are ignoring the fact that bad things happen. It's not that we are ignoring the fact that whatever is happening is unpleasant. And I'm like, oh, and you're smiling. It's fine. No, that's freaky. No, that's not what Christian joy looks like. Christian joy is, oh, I just got a hundred dollar debit, but someone gifted me $10,000. That's Christian joy. Oh, this just happened but I have much more in Christ, much more in Christ. And so because I esteem Christ and what I have found in Christ to be greater than anything else in my life, I can be always full of joy. It doesn't mean I'm smiling or I'm happy that this bad thing happened, but I'm still full of joy. I'm still secure. I'm not driven to despair. I don't doubt the love of God. Why? Because what he has given me is greater than what life has taken from me. Does that make sense? That is Christian joy. And so it's a thing of perspective. It's it's something that comes through the spirit of God. Of course, through meditation and through, through, through prayers. That you are able to esteem what you have in Christ as greater than anything else the world has given you or the world will take from you. That's joy. So, the reason Paul can be joyful, even though he's in prison, even though he's been beaten, even though ministry is hard, is because he's looking at something far greater. He's looking at the worth of the Corinthian souls. He's looking at the, 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 the reward of faithfulness that waits for him in eternity. He's looking at the love that God has for him. And he's like, none of those, like, nothing I'm experiencing even comes close to what God has in store. And so I can be joyful. I can be joyful. Does that make sense? So the next time something happens and someone says, be joyful, understand what that means. A lot of times people think it means, oh, just be happy now, be happy. <laughs> no, not necessarily. And if that's what people have tried to, I'm sorry about that. That's That's not what it necessarily looks like. Is that yes? I recognize this is not pleasant. I recognize this is not good. Jesus did not go to Lazarus's house and say, "Ah, why are you crying? Be smiling now. Be dancing." No, that's insensitive. But he let them know. He said that no, I am the resurrection. So because I'm here, you can be joyful. There is reason to be full of joy. There's reason to hope because Christ is there. Christ is there. Christ is there. So the next time life punches you in the face, as it always likes to do, (laughs) remind yourself of the joy you found. Remind yourself of what you have. Remind yourself of, of that eternal weight of glory that is greater than anything that can happen in this world. If you can do that, again, if you have friends, that can help you do that. You would find out that you are always living a life of perpetual joy. Perpetual joy. It starts from your valuation. If you truly esteem Christ as greater, nothing will steal your joy. Nothing will steal your joy. I hope that makes sense. Thumbs up if that makes sense. Just a quick, quick acknowledgement before we go on to the next verse. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. All right, let's go on. So, Paul is exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations, and we can be as well. And then he goes on in verse 5. He says, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, a follow-up of what he said in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he says, Our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside, was conflict inside were fears i love the vulnerability don't you this is paul the apostle paul man of god paul (laughs) he's telling you we had no rest we're troubled on every side every side outside there were conflicts, there were were issues. Because inside, we're afraid. Paul is telling you that. And so, let's start from outside. We've talked about this long enough now that I'm sure, at least for those that have been here long enough, to understand that because God leads you to do something or leads you to go somewhere does not mean that there will not be issues. A lot of times we've wrongly associated the will of God with ease. It's a very, very horrible association. The will of God for Christ led him to death. The will of God for all the apostles, save John, and because he was delivered, led them to suffering, persecution, um, um, name-calling, rejection, and ultimately death. I read at length, I can't remember which of the teachings we were doing, how when Paul wanted to go to Asia Minor, the Lord said no. He wanted to go somewhere The Lord said no. He said go to Macedonia. I hope you know it was in following that instruction that he ended up in prison where we hear Paul and Silas, they prayed, they sang. But before they prayed and they sang, they were beaten and they were thrown in prison. Imagine if Paul, that prison night, instead of him to be singing, praising God and then ultimately being saved, he's like, ah. But I had a dream now, and he starts doubting that maybe, maybe God didn't really want us to come here. Why? Because they are in jail. We don't use the experiences in obedience to judge whether it was the will of God. Abraham was led by God. He wandered for years, and yes, he grew successful even through bad means. By the way, if you've read the story, it was through lying that uh, Sarah was his sister, then the king took her. And then when the king found out, he gave him money, gold, all of that. (laughs) Abraham is a scam. (laughs) Anyways, still the father of our faith. (laughs) Glory to God. But (laughs) you get my point. You don't say, oh, God led me to do this. And then you assume that because God led, everything must work out. Time and time again, it hasn't always been the case. There are things God will lead you to, or lead you through, and there will be difficulty along the way. Don't let your experiences in obeying God doubt the instruction. So now, because it's 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 uh God led you to to start a work. The work is not growing as well as you thought. You're like, ah, maybe God, maybe I didn't hear God, or maybe it was ill. Maybe I should have stayed in my job. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. The reward for obedience is in the obedience. It's in the obedience. God led Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these prophets to speak to Israel. Elijah, have you you thought about these guys? Jesus even used the analogy that one after the other, they were rejected and they were killed. The prophets didn't exactly have successful ministries, pretty much none of them. Now it's successful because it's led to Christ. And now we are looking back on what they did. But in their lifetime, they didn't experience it the way we think. We see Elijah and we're like, wow. But someone like Isaiah, Jeremiah watched his people be carried away. Do you know how it feels for God to tell you, go and tell these people judgment is coming and you are telling them, you are telling them, you are telling them, they don't listen. The judgment comes. You're going to feel like a failure. Like God, did you really send me? Some of us today will be like, ah, if God sent us, then they should have listened, they should have been saved, and then the judgment will not have come. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. God told Noah, a flood is coming. He says, For for the many years he was every day, he's telling them a flood is coming. Do you think Noah was smiling? Some of us we, we read these stories I'm like as as people are drowning, like I told you so. Ah, Uncle Shagu, I told, and I told you. This co-worker you do like I I I told you and as they are drowning you are smiling you are happy You're like ha, 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 who is smiling now <laughs> who is the mad one now that's not do you think that's how Noah felt don't <laughs> that's not how Noah felt don't forget Noah is a child of God do you think God was happy watching souls perish in judgment of course not and if Noah is anything like sorry oof, if Noah is anything like his heavenly father, then he's not happy. He's not happy. He's seen people down It's he's like, oh my God, if only they had listened. But does that mean that God did not send Noah to tell these people? The same thing with Jesus. You, you think prophets are happy? Are they making prophecies of doom? And they're like, yes, unless you are Jonah. <laughs> like, yes, judgment has caught up with them. No. So if you are judging ministry by results, by immediate impact, a lot of Israel's prophets were failures because Israel did not listen. They made fun of them. They ridiculed them. They arrested some of them. They killed many of them. And so maturity comes from knowing that that is not how we discern the will of God. It's not by the, in quotes, external success of that action. And so you have to build in you a separate Judging system or discernment system. If God sends you on something, put it on lockdown. Let nothing about the execution or the expert or the experience that comes with obeying God ever make you doubt if God sent you out in the first place. Amen. Amen. And so nothing about Paul's experiences, the persecution, like ah, maybe God. No, no, no. Paul never. Well, maybe, of course. The thoughts will come. But Paul knew how to handle those thoughts. Let me not make it seem like uh, you're a robot. So the thoughts will never no, the thoughts will come. Once things get hard, you're like, am I sure? Maybe Egypt was actually better. I'm teaching you to deal with those thoughts. Deal with those thoughts. Did God really send me? Yes. Right. You wrote it down. Go back to the notes. Go back to the confirmations. Yes, God said you should do it. Maybe you might need to pray again and ask. Maybe you are not getting the execution right, but don't doubt the leading of the Spirit just because things get hard. All right? So he said outside were conflicts. So even in the will of God, there were trouble on every side. In the will of God, there were conflicts. In the will of God, they had no rest. <laughs> but he says, and he, he goes on, I mean, it does mean was just external. I'll be fine. He says, inside we're fierce. And I love this because it's something I can relate with. Because Paul is, don't forget what Paul is um, fearful about. He hasn't heard from Titus. He doesn't know how the Corinthian church is doing. He doesn't know how they responded to his scolding. And so he's worried. He's worried. He's worried. He's vulnerable enough to say, guys, I was worried. And I can relate. To this, because I worry, I can worry a lot sometimes, especially when it has to do with the well being of people around me. My, my younger sister knows this too well. If you are not home past a certain time and you've not texted, you've not called, I'm checking, my phone is permanently on fire. I'm watching you as you are driving, I'm watching every single thing happening. <laughs> right? It says give me, yes, I'm an African parent in that way. My children are they're they're in for it. They are in for I say, where were you? Where were you? <laughs> Have you seen the time? <laughs> so, yes, I can be like that. I can be very, very bothered about your well-being. I, I I'm that kind of person that if I need constant updates, if I care about you tell me when you left the house tell me when you get to where you're going tell me when you are leaving where you're going and tell me when you get home if not i will worry <laughs> it's just what it is. i've tried not to but i can't help myself i will worry so i can understand <laughs> when po- yeah maybe it's a, yeah maybe it's a first child thing maybe maybe um if you ask for address and- or oh, of course i have to know where you're going I- ask my sister who are you going to see where are you going she tried something funny one day, and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> we brought everybody heard it. She was so upset that what is wrong with you guys? But I have no apologies. Next time you will send text. <laughs> so I can, I can, I can, I can understand when Paul says inside where fears. Like, I've not I've not heard from Titus. What is going on? And in the face of it, it work. In trust, is like I, I can't focus on this. Let's go to Macedonia. Let's settle what is going on with Corinth and Titus, and then we can come back and and do what God will have have us do. It's kind of like for for some of you that African parents, the same thing happens. You you like somebody and you send them a message, and you are waiting. You are waiting, or the day you finally let's say as a guy, maybe you did it over text. I don't know who gave you that advice, but. <laughs> You're like, oh, I just want to tell you that I like you a lot. Boom. And you send the message. From that moment until the response, you are just like, hey, God, you're checking your phone. Let's say now then for those that use WhatsApp or if you use iMessage and the read notifications are on, it becomes a blue tick or it says red. You just start sweating. It doesn't matter how cool. You're like, hey, God, should I have done it? Should I not have done it? (laughs) You're checking your phone constantly. What would the person say? That kind of worry, right? That is what Paul is saying. That I, I don't know. I don't. I've not heard from Titus. I've not heard from Titus. I've not heard from Titus. And Paul was was vulnerable enough to say, "Our body." He says, <laughs> "Is he experiential or is it knowledge?" It's experiential. It's not knowledge. Like I said, don't do it over text, guys. Take my advice. <laughs> Don't do it over text. If you can't say it face to face, don't say it at all. <laughs> um, That's also a nugget for today. It's the word of the Lord. You say, I speak, how did Paul say it? I speak, not of the Lord, but of my own, of my own spirit. <laughs> Anyways. um, <clears throat> So Paul is saying, I'm tired. I'm being worn out. Outside there are conflicts. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm worried about the state of the church. Nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. And so it's, it's, it's a mindset that we also need to emulate. Oh, I'm, I'm being worn out. I just feel like there are so many demands on my life at this season. Nevertheless. Oh, I feel sick in my body, but I will trust. Oh, I, I, I feel like nothing is working. My, 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 my research isn't going well. Uh, my relationship is not going well. What, what, what? And so you can, on one hand, acknowledge what is happening in the world around you, but you can, at the same time, acknowledge the ability of God to step in. It's not one or the other. Don't sorry, don't 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 be so overwhelmed with everything going on that you start to doubt. You start to forget. You start to 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 not trust in the ability and the willingness of God to step in. And I love what Paul goes on to say in verse 6. He says nevertheless the God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. I'll read verse seven and then I'll explain because there's something very important to take note of in these two verses. It says, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, mourning your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Let me explain on a high level what Paul is saying. (coughs) And then go on to explain something important we should keep in mind so paul is saying i was afraid i was worried i was fearful but as soon as we met titus oh wow oh wow the news he brought first of all we were happy to see him okay titus is safe he's sound titus is here but more so the reports he brought about how you guys responded how you treated him made me even better made me even better now look at how paul phrases it when he says titus came who comforted him god he says the coming of titus was god's way of comforting us despite everything that is going on It's very easy to read this. If you're just doing your Bible study and you read it, you can just skip over it. But Paul is saying something very important. Or what Paul says teaches us something very important. What is that? He's like, Titus came, but he recognized it as the comfort of God. It means that Paul is able to discern the activities of God even through Natural, seemingly normal experiences. Let me explain. It's 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 that kind of thing where you just talked to a friend, and then the friend gives you tremendous advice, and the advice works. And you like, oh, what a coincidence. I just talked to that friend. No. 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 For some of you, maybe it's that you 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 got it, you got it to your job. And one way or other, you're like, I'm so lucky I have this manager at work. The my manager likes me, is supporting me. It's we have a great relationship. And for some, let's say it's other people in that same company, or maybe under that same manager are complaining. And it just seems like yours is different. And you 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 see it as chance. Or oh, it's just no, 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 no. No. Be like Paul, learn to discern the hand of God in seemingly normal experiences. Because here is Paul going through persecution, going through a lot of things. He's, I mean, he was just outside the hand. Because maybe he would even have the strength. But even inside, he's worrying. And he says, the moment Titus came, he says, this is God's way of comforting me. This is God's way of comforting me. And so Paul is able to discern the hand of God even through normal things as, oh, I finally connected with Titus again. The same thing happens in our lives, maybe not to this scale, but I can assure you that if you look well enough, especially if you walk in tandem with the Spirit of God, there are many things that happen in your life that is God at work. And you'd be you'd become a person that is full of gratitude, full of actual experiential happiness and joy, the more you are able to start to see how God orchestrates your life even through seemingly natural experiences. I'll give a few personal stories in in, in this regard. And all of this is to, to just tell you to expect, like in your natural days, even like let's say you're stepping out in the morning something I pray and I encourage you to like, God, lead me in line with your will, even in the natural occurrences. As little as, oh, going out five minutes later, as little as, oh, um, taking a different route, let me be discerning enough to see your hand even in the natural, even in the natural. And I'm I'm sure a lot of you can relate, you can point to experiences in your life, like it seemed normal, but in hindsight, you're like, this was God at work. Maybe you had a conversation with a friend, you made a career choice, and you think it's normal. Maybe not. Maybe not. One area I know I've seen this time and time again is in the allowance for ministry. And what do I mean by that? So something I settled very early with God, the moment I knew that, okay, um, there's a call to do ministry and all of that as far back as college, it was clear that I'm like, God, You are the one that said, I should do this, right? Frankly, I would rather just die and go to heaven. But you are the one that said, no, you will stay on this earth and you will preach the gospel. I'm like, sure, why not? (laughs) And then there was that awareness that wherever I go in life, if I am in the will of God, a big if, then I would always know and I would have the allowance to do ministry. What do I mean by that? I, I remember when uh, I I got to, I got posted to my NYSE, right? For those that are Nigerian or for those that are not Nigerian, NYSC is when you graduate from college, there's a year after graduation where you are to serve your country, right? And so you take up a job and you do random stuff. I don't know. I don't know why it still exists. but. I got posted, first of all, I got posted to my college and I didn't work that, by the way. I got posted to the college that I went to. That's not normal. But then even there, okay, I was posted to the IT department because I studied computer science. And going into my NYS, I'm praying, God, what do you want me to do during this new phase of my life? The instruction is the same. You You would do Bible studies, you teach, you do all, you do ministry. And I get there and... There were two paths that I could have gone. I could have either been sent, there was a programming arm where these guys were usually coding, and there was another. So what happened was as soon as I got to I got there, the head of the IT department, he's a professor. He's like, you know what? I will keep you. You're going to, you're going to we're going to work together to write research papers. So every other person was sent to the programming arm, which was a lot busier. So because I was sent to the research, for whatever reason, he picked me and kept me in the research team. It was very flexible. I could come in. Go. As long as you're working on the research and you're turning in the papers, there was so much flexibility that I wouldn't have if I got sent to code for the school, right? Things like that, I have learned long ago to not no longer associate with chance because it happens too often. It happens too often. And so even when I got into the US and I'm looking for a job, right? And I'm like, God, okay, I'm about to graduate. What is the plan? The plan is always the same. You will do ministry, you will preach, you would uh, lead Bible studies and all of that. I'm like, sure. Well, I'm applying, I mean, I'm a software engineer. My job many times might not always be the most flexible. How am I going to combine that? I don't know. But I'm applying, and I'm like, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God, and so I get, I get a job, I get a job offer at a place that, just from looking at glass door and looking at reviews, you know that oh my God, this is this is going to be it's going to be hard <laughs> to do this job and anything that has to do with the will of God, anything at all is going to be very hard because, from just what I, from reviews and what I've seen, it can be quite demanding, and. <laughs> and i'm like okay um god this is the only offer i have (laughs) i don't know what the plan is like I, i trust you one way or the other even if it's going to be stressful but i'm like whatever i do then if god really called me to do ministry and i'm in his will then he has to give me the time to do ministry so no problem a few months later right i someone from Chagrify went, just randomly messaged us, told us to apply. Like a week or two, I got another job offer. Paying. I was going to throw something down. um. Uh, Okay. Yeah. In terms of pay, more than double, right? What the first job was giving. And then I get there and it's flexible. (laughs) May my coworkers not see this. (laughs) Or my manager. (laughs) very flexible it it gives us like it's very task based i don't have to work ridiculous hours i'm able to prepare for bibles not during work hours by the way bookie if you talk i will remove you from this call but there is that allowance of time to do what i need to do as far as the will of god is concerned and i will not be stupid or so ignorant to just say oh it's chance or, oh, it just happened. No. No. Like Paul, I recognize that the reason that happens is because God expects me to do something with the time. And so even a seeming, seemingly natural, oh, you just got another job offer. No, no, no. If you look through the eyes of the Spirit, you can see that God is at work. That God is at work. Let me give another one more story. One more story. I didn't take permission to share this, but um she will forgive me. So right now I'm like, okay, going into the end in going into the year, I'm like, okay, um, God, okay, what what next? What more can we be doing? What more can we be doing? And the Lord told me, All right, start start doing evangelism at um at the university. Ultimately, still the same thing. Be evangelizing, start Bible studies. Preach the gospel, whatever. And I'm like, God, if it's only me, you say, I would do it. But it will be nice to have people that I can go with. <laughs> it will be nice. I was like Moses. I'm like, can't like send help, Lord. Send help. And lo and behold, my sister who is applying to jobs all over the country gets a job in the very city I, I'm in. Right? At the Work was to start. Evangelism was to start August. She gets a job. She moves in July. And now both of us, we go out to evangelize together. It's very easy to say, oh, ah, you're so lucky. Your sister gets a job. You guys are living together. You're so me. You can call it luck. Me, I know. That is because as far as ministry is concerned, God will not let me rest. (laughs) And so I have given him full permission to order my life in whatever way he seems fit for the work he has asked me to do. And because of that, it is not, even as she knows, it is not a coincidence that she got the job where she did. That is what I'm talking about. That if you if you if you can discern enough, if you can reflect enough, and if you can, in a sense, yield to God enough. Th- Things like this will become very common to the point where you're like, oh, "Ah, yes, it's true. I will share more stories about how I met my wife one day. (laughs) Because I told God, I said, God, if ministry is this important, then even the person I would do life with, you have to have a hand in it. I will share that at a later day. (laughs) But... My point is this. My point is this. God, if it is true that God works all things for his purpose and for his will, if you are aligned in the will of God. Oh, I'm not married, by the way. (laughs) Just so that people don't hear. I was just joking. I'm not married. (laughs) Please. Um, If it is true that you are aligned in the will of God, Then you can trust him to orchestrate your life, even in seemingly natural things. And it it just happens that it's like you look back, and it's God is literally writing the story of your life. Literally writing the story of your life. Writing the story of your life. That things that people would attribute to chance and coincidence, you're like, no, God is working. 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 And so I want to encourage you to trust God with your life. Trust him with your life. He He will do a far better job. Of course, there will be sacrifice involved. Of course, there might be a bit of, I wanted to do this. Left for me before, before I took my walk with God seriously, I wanted to... I was passionate about business. I was going to, I'd written down my, at SS3, which is 12th grade, I'd written down a plan for my life. Because growing up, my dad brings Forbes um, magazines. I grew up reading Forbes, um, loving the idea of business and entrepreneurship and all of that. I'm like, I'm going to graduate here. I'm going to do an MBA here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then God steps in and says, you're going to do what? (laughs) I have other plans for you. With all due respect. And so there might be a bit of that. There might be a bit of shaking up. For some, you want to travel, and God is like, nah. I have a pastor friend. I should, all my friends are pastors at this point. I have a friend of mine, he's a pastor. This is someone who he from like he got a job, he went to Dubai, he's doing so well. And God is like, you're going to start a church in lagos nigeria him and his wife they've come back whether or not objectively you think that's a good thing that's your business right objectively a lot of people are like ha, huh? how can you leave dubai to come to lagos but that was the instruction of god that was the instruction of god and now they're about to start a church next month And even in that, of course, I'm not going to share his personal experiences, but in the way work has moved around to allow that, you can just know that is God. You can just know that is God. A friend of mine was supposed to start pastoring in another city. And you're like, okay, how are you going to do that? Just like that, he gets a new manager. The manager is like, oh, family is everything. You can work remote as long as you get your job done. You think that is normal? It's God. Is God. And I want to assure you, I, this is a promise I'm making to you. If you can align your heart with the will of God, even the natural things in your life will just somehow accommodate the will of God. So now I, 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 I tell some of my friends, I don't bother as far as decisions are concerned. I just know that whatever I do, God will share, If I'm in the will of God, I I I must have time for ministry. It's not. It's not. It's not a maybe. It's not looking back. I wasn't necessarily. I was grateful, but it wasn't a surprise that okay, a better job. It might not even have been better, but another job offer came that gave me way more time than I needed to do the work of God. If you can align yourself and like, God, whatever that looks like. Whatever that looks like, I just want to be in your will. You will be surprised. I'm sure this is me sharing my own personal stories. I'm sure you all, I'm sure you can point to one or two things and like, "Ah, this was God. This happened because I said yes to God. This happened, it, it might look normal, but this happened because I said yes to God. Because I said yes to God. Because I said yes to God. And so that's what Paul is saying. That God is a God who can comforts the downcast. I was downcast and Titus came. Someone who doesn't have the eyes of truth, like, oh, you just found Titus now. were not you going to find him eventually? But Paul says, this was the hand of God. This was the hand of God. This was the hand of God. So going back to 2 Corinthians, we're going to wrap up now. It's almost 10.30. Again, like I said, Paul had sent a strong letter. It might be 1 Corinthians, but more likely is a letter we don't have to correct them, to reprimand them. And he's worried. He's like, will these people listen to me? What is the state of their Christian work? Those are the things that he was worried about. Where is Titus in all of this? How did they treat him? I hope Titus has not been arrested. He was worried. And so as soon as he met Titus and he heard what Titus said, he said, God has comforted me. God has comforted me. God has comforted me. Some of you, let's say you, you were feeling very bad and a friend of yours just calls and you guys have a long conversation. You talk about a lot of things. And you, you just leave that call and it just feels like a weight has been lifted up your shoulder. God comforted you. Don't just see it as, ah, what a coincidence. I just felt like calling. <laughs> and you're just like, ah, 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 you, you couldn't have called at a better time. Thank you so much. And you just think that happened naturally. No, God was comforting you. God was comforting you. And so what that means, let me, Let me drag some. If God says, call, please call the person. (laughs) So both on the receiving end and on the giving end, be open to the ways God can lead you in random ways. God says, oh, just send a text and encourage this brother. You don't know how far, just say, oh, I'm thinking about you. VN, you don't have to call. I'm thinking about you. I hope you're doing well. I just want you. Just a simple, kind message and change that person's day. And it is the work of God. Many times we want to, until God says, someone will call us, I have a word for you. The Lord says, you have been going through a hard time. He says, peace, peace is on the way. If he does that, that is great. It's encouraging and it's good. But what about the natural ways that God works even more than the spectacular? Partner with that as well. You just get a nudge to check up on someone, check up on them. You get in order to do something, maybe you should do it. Maybe you should do it. I was listening to um Pastor Emmanuel Erend, um Deepa, many of you here know him. I'm saying it just for those that don't. Um, Pastor of Celebration Church. Um Deepa Abuja. And he, he talked about this. It was funny because I'd written my notes like two weeks ago, and then he talked about I'm like, I'm going to use, I'm going to. I'm going to st- emphasize this this is sign that i should emphasize it even more natural events natural events you might say oh it was just a coincidence that the very moment they were thinking of killing um joseph slave traders are passing by and he ends up getting sold and it is that very transport to egypt that saves the world at that moment there's no way you would see the hand of god no way But looking back, Joseph will say, wow, wow, wow. Even Potiphar's wife's actions. We serve a God that is able to take seemingly natural events. The the other analogy that Pastor Aaron used was, it was that very moment that Israel needed to be saved that Vashti started to misbehave and said, come and dance for yourself. Female empowerment, I will not dance for you. and king, sexist, or whatever. No, Allah, you are banished. Found Esther. And God used that very occurrence to save the entire people of Israel. The entire people of Israel. If you can just partner with the will of God, you will be amazed, amazed at how intentional God can be with your life. You will be very amazed. Very amazed. Very amazed. God still rules in the affairs of men. Never doubt it. And allow him to rule in your own affairs. Allow, allow, how does that even happen? What kind of Ududua behavior is that? Allow him to intervene. Allow him to guide your life. Allow him to guide your life. Allow him to guide your life. Don't, don't take decisions outside the leading of the spirit. Whatever decisions you make, prioritize his will. Of course, it would have been a different case if I now I'm starting to seek out jobs I know fully well will detract me from God's plan. And I'm like, hey, God made it. Uh-uh. You, are disobe- you, are, you are running out of God's will for your life. No. Let your life tailor to the things he has told you. A simple principle I, I use now, right? Is okay, I'm about to take this decision. And in prayer, I'm like, will he give me time for God? Will he give me time for ministry at the scale that God has told me to be doing in the moment? Will he give me time for my for, for the people I love? If the answer to those questions is no. Sometimes I don't I don't think I even bother praying about it. Any commitments. I don't know. it's why am I what what am I expecting to hear? <laughs> That's the question. What am I expecting to hear? Because you realize that the will of God for your life is most important. Most important. Most important. That's how this this is how to walk with God. I'm I'm, I'm telling you. This is how to walk with God. This is how to walk with God. You keep in mind the things he has said. And you ask yourself at every turn, Am I, am I, am I in step? If not, what do I need to change? What do I need to change? It's like saying now someone comes and says, Oh, I have a part-time job for you. You just have to do it on Saturday mornings, and if you can make as much as 5 a month. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not, I God forbid I pray, but I'll be an I'll be a fool to pray. I'm not even joking. And I'm I for there's no lack of a better word, I would actually be a fool to take that up in prayer. The same God that said Saturday morning is to teach Bible study. I said, God, can I move it around? There's a part-time job for 5K. Am I okay? (laughs) Some people, you deceive yourself and say, I want to go and pray about it. Why? Why are you setting yourself up for progress? God has said, no. You say, I want to pray about it. No. No. This is how to stay in the will of God. I'm being honest with you. This is how to stay in the will of God. Keep in mind the things he has said. Whatever does not accommodate it. And these were simple things we told ourselves growing up. Anything that doesn't give you time to pray and study cannot be the will of God. Anything that would take you away from your walk with him cannot be his. Simple things we learned as children. Now that we are in our adulting phase, it's it's a lot more important. You want to discern the will of God. This is how. carefully. be honest with yourself. This commitment, this decision, what will it mean in the will of God? What will it mean in the will of God? Oh God, lead me in your will. Oh God, keep me your, how does that look? It's from these little things. It's from these little things. From these little things. May God give us wisdom (laughs) in Jesus' name. And so I think we'll stop at this. We'll stop here today. Um, We'll continue from verse eight next week. um, We've talked about a couple things today, and I hope you find time to reflect and think on them. We've talked about joy. We've talked about the leading of God. We've talked about walking in holiness. Um, let these not just be things that make you say, hmm, what a word!" (laughs) Remember I started by talking about the parable of the soul. Let it bear fruit in your life. Amen? Amen. On that note, any questions? And then we'll take the benediction. And then we uh, we call it a day. (laughs) Any questions? I think one thing that I've become used to over the past few weeks is because we're not doing anything theological. Don't worry, next week, sorry, not next week, from um, chapter eight, we're going to be talking, chapter eight and chapter nine, we're talking about giving. (laughs) So Christianity and money. And I would have a separate teaching on the tithe. Um, (laughs) So I know we're going to have questions then. So it's fine if you don't have questions. I'm not even... I'm saving up all my question answering. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't just two verses. okay we did verses one to verses eight, verse one to verse eight. Um, but yeah, so chapter eight, chapter nine, we're talking about giving, generosity, tithing. I would answer any questions you have about tithing, I'd answer it. Um uh I know a lot has been said on those topics, and so let's see what the Bible has to say about it. And uh, yeah, all right. So no questions, that's fine. I'll pray and then we call it a day. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being able to hear your word unhindered. We recognize that that is not the case for many, many Christians all around the world. And we recognize this privilege. I pray that we don't grow Insensitive to the demands that your word places on us. I pray that we are not a people that constantly hear the word, hear the word, hear the word, and we don't respond. I pray that this teaching stirs up in the hearts of everyone here and everyone that would listen to the podcast an ability to respond, that we are going to be a people of joy because we understand that we have found something greater in you that we're going to be a people that submit to the leading of your spirit, submit to your will, even in the normal aspects of our lives. I pray that we're going to be a people of holiness, people that recognize the indwelling of your spirit and live lives that show that indeed God dwells in us. I pray for anyone here struggling with their walk with you. I pray for strength. Anyone here that has taken any decision that has led them out of your will. I pray for recovery. And I pray for anyone who is desiring or is not yet a part of a healthy Christian community. And I pray that they are surrounded with those brothers and sisters that would hold them by the arm and say the words of Paul, we die together, we live together, we are bonded by Christ. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. uh. I would share my screen for benediction. So, graciously prepared to us by Bukian Aya. And then we'll take first timers as well. All right. I believe we can all see my screen. So, at this time, feel free to unmute yourself. Let's take it together. One, two, Go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word, I am a teacher of the word, the word is profitable for my growth, by the word, I am corrected, by the word, I am the in and in the word, my spirit rejoices, hallelujah, amen, amen, amen. amen. amen thank you guys always Um, thank you Sadi. yeah it's always you're welcome it's a pleasure I love this so much Um, is anyone joining for the first time anyone all right now we've come to the end of today's episode and I hoped that it blessed you in many more ways than one and if it did I want you to do a couple things for me The first thing is, I want you to take out some time to pray and to meditate over the things you've learned in today's teaching, and to see how you can begin to apply it to your life, starting from this week. Because it's important we remember, we're not just to be hearers, but doers of the word as well. The second thing I would appreciate is to think about someone you can send this to. If this teaching has blessed you, then pass it on to a friend, to a co-worker, to someone you know who needs to hear this. And finally, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, leave a comment if you're feeling up to it, and I'll catch you in the next episode. God bless you. Bye.